but it said 30 seconds. <laughs> I could have wait the whole 30 seconds. Well, a little heads up would have been nice. No, I said when the true. thing stops to go. It's, I was counting down from 30. <laughs> Wait, hold on, let me end this. No, now. it's fine. It's fine. Just leave it. At... <laughs> it's freaking unbelievable. <laughs> freaking idiots. <laughs> All right. Welcome to the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Shellcast, a podcast reviewing each episode of the original Turtles cartoon. I'm your host, John, and today we'll be reviewing Season 1, Episode 1, Turtle Tracks. With me, as always, are my two brothers, Andrew. What's going on, everyone? I'm Andrew. And Chris. Go, Leo. I'm Chris. Cool. Um, so I think we'll get right into it. We're, um, you know, three three brothers sort of grew up in the, born in the late 80s, early 90s. Um and just big Ninja Turtles fans, so we're, uh, we're excited to get this thing kicked off. Yeah, so I think the goal, kind of the goal of the podcast is for people to listen. You know, we're going to do episode by episode. Obviously, you can listen to the episodes of the podcast, follow along with the show, um, and we'll kind of go from there. And I think um, one thing to note, we are starting with the 87 series because that's what we grew up on. We didn't do any of the comic stuff, so the hardos out there will say, Maybe you should start with the Mirage series, but uh, we're not doing that. So we're going right into the the original animated series for nostalgia. Yeah. Couldn't even tell you what the Mirage is. We're going to talk about that later, John. Okay. Okay. Um, all right. So a little bit of background um, on the episode. So like I had mentioned, the title is Turtle Tracks. Original air date, Sunday, September 28th, 1987. So right around that Christmas time. Um, a couple of fun facts about that date. Steve Largent set the all-time NFL record for career catches when he caught his 752nd pass. And then there was some um, nuclear testing by the USSR. Um, but otherwise, a pretty slow day. Not not many notable celebrity birthdays on the, on the 28th. So. Um, any comments on that? No. Nothing for mine. Just show you how, how old the series is if uh, yeah. Steve Largent was the all-time reception holder. Yeah. And it was... What team did Steve Largent play for? Trivia question. Seahawks. Jeez, let me answer. I was going <laughs> to say the Vikings. You shook your head no. <laughs> the Cowboys. Um, original runtime of the episode, about 23 minutes. It's actually funny, um, you know, as we were watching this, nowadays there's just so much streaming that happens where I feel like TV shows don't really build in any commercial breaks but it's very like easy to tell when there would be original commercial breaks but anyways 23 minutes um i can give a i'll read the show notes or description just for the the viewers or the listeners um but then we'll we'll go into the recap so um description of the episode april o'neill an ace reporter for channel six news investigates recent break-ins allegedly by ninjas which have resulted in the thefts of numerous technologies However, a chance encounter with a gang of thieves soon leads her to a bigger story when she is saved from the criminals by four ninja-trained mutated turtles. 
The turtles take April back to their lair, and after getting better acquainted, April learns that they're good-hearted mutants. They decide to investigate the thefts together, and their efforts lead them to an encounter with the mysterious ninjas, the Foot Clan, and their leader, Shredder. Shredder manages to keep turtles from advancing to the Technodrome by flooding, and the building is connected to, and the building that it is connected to. So pretty, uh, pretty basic, but a lot of exposition in this book, which we can get into in a little bit. All right. A little, a little background, a little background on the, the turtles. As I was doing some of the research. So, the like I said, the show aired in late '87. Um, it was after about a couple of years of the comic book having pretty decent success. Um, so, when Ethan was looking to create a toy deal based on the comics, and it had approached Playmate Toys um, to develop that, but Playmate was a little bit um, hesitant. They wanted the the series to have you know a couple years of success as a TV show before they really began marketing and manufacturing these toys. So that was sort of the genesis of this cartoon was to get more success behind the, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, so that ultimately it could be you know made into toys and sort of licensed and made even more money. It'll be a little bit interesting to see how that um, with that, that series. Yeah, I think the iron ironic part of that is, at least for me, and I think for all of us, I could say is like we got into the toys before we got into the show. So I didn't really watch the show growing up. It was pretty much all about the toys and the action figures for us. And that was kind of, at least for me, where like the love of Ninja Turtles came from. So it'd be cool to, like you said, go back and see how the show and the toys and the marketing kind of all intertwined. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and what's cool now too, especially is uh, like the toys are, there's been a revival with like a lot of things from the 80s and 90s. So that's, um, I think, pulling a lot of people that were into the original um, playmate stuff back into the series and now there's been you know multiple movies multiple uh cartoon shows animated series so it's uh it's all coming for full circle yeah yeah and i think growing up too my favorite ninja turtle was definitely michelangelo um and we'll get into a little bit description of each of the turtles because i think this episode does a good job of trying to just get viewers familiar with that but yeah michelangelo orange uh ninja headband and then wielder of the nunchakus yeah for me um my favorite has always been wrath and that was originally because the color red which is still my favorite um but i think uh especially with the movie specifically the the first movie in 1990 i i kind of got sucked into his character arc where he goes you know he's sarcastic um hothead um you know, uh, you know, challenging relationship with his brothers, but he's always uh, been grounded in family. So uh, it's not really prevalent in this 87 series. He's more of like a, uh, you know, crude um, or rude uh, character. Um, and he always kind of has some of those punchlines ready, but uh, in general, throughout most of the TMNT, um, you know, universe, he's, He's always, you know, battling Leo f- for leadership. He's always, uh, you know, challenging his brothers. Um, so for me, that's that's why he's my favorite. Yep. And mine, of course, Leonardo, which is kind of interesting because typically I don't go for like the leader type characters, but I'm the youngest of us. So I got third choice. Um, <laughs> Donatello, not really a popular option when you're a kid because he's got the purple. So I went Leo with the blue. I'm curious to see his as I kind of watch the show more, if he remains my favorite, but for now it's, it's all, it's all Leo. Very nice. All right. Should we get into the episode recap? 
Let's go for it. Nice. All right. Episode um, begins. I think this is probably the first time, obviously, that people are hearing the Ninja Turtles theme song. Super catchy. Um, but, you know, go through the introduction. And then the title uh, slide kind of appears. It basically says Turtle Tracks. It's a picture of Leonardo eating a pizza. Um, so, you know, be interesting to see if there's any connection to the title photos or slides or, or whatever it is with um, with the episode. But Yeah, like, and you mentioned, just real quick, you mentioned the, the theme song, which... I think we all agree it's probably one of the better theme songs of any show ever um, was created for specifically for this show. So I know Andrew mentioned it sounded like there's a cartoon, maybe or some comics and stuff that preempted it, but um, created for this show by Chuck Lorre. If you guys have heard that name before, nope. it's, he's a producer of two and a half men and also um, big bang theory. So this is his first actual show credit he ever got was writing the co-writing the theme song for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which I thought was a cool fact. Wow. It's just a catchy, it's just a catchy uh, theme song. It's hard not to sing along. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Um, so then we, you know, we fade into the episode. We're introduced to a big city, which we later find out is New York. Um, Classic. Or, and, and really the only reason we know that is because there's a, a company called Manhattan Security Services that we'll get to. But I think otherwise you don't really have any indication of what city it would be other than some, you know, big thriving metropolis. So we're introduced to the big city, a lot of crime running rampant. I didn't, um, I'm, I wanted to do some research, but I think late 80s is when there was a big crime wave that was going through New York. And so I, it, it's just interesting that the premise of this series at least at the start is a lot of crime happening uh and they need people to sort of help combat that so uh april o'neill is reporting on all of this crime and theft there's two there's there's been a couple break-ins to some scientific technologies companies and we learned that two positronic accelerators four reverse flux polarity indicators and one parabolic sine wave generator have been stolen does either you know I'm not like smart. I didn't actually look it up, but does, do those words actually mean anything? It just sounds like they like mumbo jumbled a bunch of scientific terms together. Yeah. Usually when flux is thrown in like flux capacitor, <laughs> flux polarity indicator. Yeah. Like parabolic is always yeah. a classic sine, sine wave generator. Like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it, you know, there's, there's a good bit of comedy because this is April's interviewing the, the scientists who, I guess theoretically would have been at these companies. He he also has no idea uh, what those what those machines do. So uh, we learn through the reporting that there were a couple thieves that were wielding samurai swords that broke into this into this building because there's a couple of notch marks on the door, um, and then they they must be ninjas because they identify a rope that was made in Japan. So it's you know that automatically means. <laughs> that ninjas are afoot. Um, but that's sort of where we, where we stand. Um, so then, you know, we're introduced to April O'Neill and Vern, who is, um, I guess her producer sort of sits in the van and, and not the cameraman, obviously, but helps, helps develop the stories. Um, so they're, you know, they're on the streets. They're really terrified that they're going to get cornered by a group of thieves. There's a million dollars of state of the art equipment in the van, which I guess when you think back to the late eighties, a million dollars is like astronomical to be driving around. Um, what I thought was funny though, is uh, so these thieves approach them, the two cameramen, April and Vern, and then they just immediately run away. There's just no fight. 
they're getting rolled up on by a couple of thieves and then immediately ditch them. Um, even though, you know, we just drive the van away, just get in the van and drive away. But thieves approach three guys run away. April runs trips, looks to her right, realizes that there's a sewer drain. So she just slithers down the, sl- the sewer drain. Cause that's, I guess the best way to escape. Um, and we get our first glimpse of what we will know to be shredder. And it's really just his sort of spiked wristband that we see first. Yeah, and we see him sitting in like some sort of like TV control room type thing, like your classic villain lair where he's just got, you know, a big computer and screens in front of him. Yeah, yeah. it kind of reminds me of uh, Inspector Gadget, who is the bad guy in there that always sat like with his yeah. cat. Uh, similar, similar vibes, but cool thing, uh, cool fun fact about Shredder is it's uh, voiced by James Avery, who, if you guys don't know, is uh, Uncle Phil from the Fresh Prince of Bel Air. So that's always been a, a cool fact that I forget every time. And then once I remember, I'm like, man, that's uh, kind of interesting because Fresh Prince didn't start till 1990. So James Avery, he voices Shredder in um, just about two thirds, so 106 of the 193 episodes. Yeah. And the cool thing about this, like this show, I feel like is filled with a lot of voices you've heard before, but you can't pinpoint yeah. Like every character sounds familiar, but you're, you're trying to remember where you actually heard the voice the first time. So I watched that whole episode. I didn't realize he had a familiar voice, but I didn't realize it was uh, Uncle Phil. Mm. That's pretty cool. Mm. The, what was interesting too is somehow Shredder, like, you know, as Andrew and Chris have mentioned, is sitting in his lair with all these TV screens. I don't really know how he's watching any of this stuff. Yeah. If he has like live feeds into the Channel 6 news, but he just has this like, you know, third person view of all these events that are happening, which I thought was funny. Yeah, and that's that's a theme that comes up, like the tech that Shredder and whether it's the foot or um, just Shredder like has in this episode. So that's, I think, a foreshadowing point um, in it. But it's confusing because he goes from, you know, his history, which, you know, we'll get into to, you know, being in New York, sitting at this control desk with two way cameras. Mm hmm. So April slithers down the sewer drain, is running through these well-kept sewers under the streets of New York. The thugs, very yeah, they're really like that's from somebody that's built like catch basins and stuff. Those are like train tunnels that they just romanticize. But every, it's funny you said like it's set in New York. Obviously, every New York movie you'll ever see shows the sewers that exact same way. Yeah, very clean sewers in New York. Um, so it, you know, as she's running away, she absolutely eats it directly into a wall, into a brick wall, falls down, is stunned. And then as the thieves are rolling up on her, these dark, mysterious, um, sort of silhouette figures of turtles just start to whoop ass and, and beat some of these thugs up. Yeah. I thought that one of the interesting things, like the thug, the thug costumes are just like punk like regalia from the nineties. So clearly that was the view on like those type of people back then. If you had a Mohawk or like leather jacket, you were just a hooligan. Um, Yeah. And I'd also, I don't know if it's like potential foreshadowing, but some of the thugs looked like some of the villains we know from uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, like Bebop and Rocksteady in particular. It, It seemed to be that some of the human thugs we're wearing similar clothing. So I'm curious if that like down the road turns into something, if it was just coincidence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is uh, definitely, there's definitely some, uh, some interplay there. I think uh, to Chris's point, the 
interesting thing to me was there's what like six or seven of them with like bats and guns and all this stuff why are they chasing april i think it's because she's reporting on them or reporting on the crime um so it seems like kind of an intense encounter for uh you know for a news reporter mm-hmm. so she flees to me you know fleeing into the sewer doesn't make a whole lot of sense especially like to john's point there's a news van right there that she could just hop in but uh we have to somehow introduce the the turtles in their natural habitat <laughs> yeah yeah i think we do learn <clears throat> if not in this scene later in the episode um that they really want to april is obviously digging into these crimes and i don't think they want to be uncovered sort of what's at the bottom of it so it, it seems to be why where they're obviously not interested in the millions of dollars that are sitting in the van but not later um it, i i thought it was funny too the the crimes that get reported at the start of the episode <laughs> these thugs just at, takes a baseball bat to this futuristic looking car and then they're just spray painting on walls so uh i don't know how, how serious the obviously the, the car is bad but i'm not it's a kid serious. show john you gotta remember it's a kid show it's true it's true graffiti <laughs> yeah graffiti yeah graffiti is no good um so the turtles make light works of the thugs just sort of injuring them putting them in a pile um april then realizes that they are mutant turtles and she ends up fainting um from the shock of these these creatures and then the turtles take april back to their turtle lair as they uh try to get her to recover yeah well, that a- part seems a little bit of carry off but like consistent with the movies um, you know, somewhere she faints when she sees them type thing. So it's it's interesting to see some of the overlap on stuff they took and stuff they kind of modified throughout. Yeah, and if if um if we had somebody that had been into the comics, I'm I'm curious like how that parallels so with, with the Mirage series, if that was new in the animated and then the the movie kind of like ad- uh, adapted that backstory or if that's you know if that was consistent throughout or if that was just unique to the 87 maybe mm-hmm. for episode two I, I can do some research and uh, report back on that mm-hmm. i think it would be shocking to see these mutant ninja turtles just in a sewer yeah one of the things i found interesting too i couldn't remember back to the movies but in the cartoon they're very short they're shorter than i remember yeah. So like it seems like they're actually sticking true to the teenage part. I think in the movies they were like the same height as April. Yeah. So it's it's funny to watch like when they're running down the hallway, they're like up to her waist or whatever. Yeah. And I think um uh I think in the video games, like the specifically Turtles in Time, they give the height. And I remember Leo is just above five feet. So it doesn't seem consistent, at least through the beginning episode here the movies the video games it's you know even the the depiction of the turtles and you know it's not the universe isn't like isn't consistent at all so that's cool in some ways because they can do what they want with the story you know kill off certain people or have certain interactions with villains um, that change in other parts but i think for the diehard team nt fan is that a is that a good thing i don't know yeah it changes like in my when i picture a ninja turtle I do not picture them at five feet. So it is like thinking of a five foot Ninja Turtle is kind of funny to me right now. Mm-hmm. Or April was just a, yeah, a giant monster. Yeah, WNBA yeah. center. <laughs> <laughs> Yellow jumpsuit. Um, so April wakes up in their lair, uh, meets Splinter, the giant rat, faints again. I think Raph makes a comment that uh, 
you know, April's got a, a sort of weak stomach. Uh, but when she comes to finally, I think, you know, the turtles and Splinter think that having her eat something will be helpful. So they serve her some sushi. So she gets some sewer sushi. Uh, and the turtles start to munch on pizza, which we find out is their favorite, um, their favorite meal. Yeah, I think two. I had two uh, notes I put there. One, I didn't realize sushi was a thing that early on. I thought that was more late '90s type deal. Um, like and in, then in the world. Yeah, I know. Like in popular in in America, I guess, or in New York. Um, yeah, it, it does seem kind of early, but I think that's where that comment comes from. I was Donnie, but somebody's repulsed by the idea of sushi. Yeah, and then the pizza toppings were were funny. We had pepperoni and ice cream, jelly bean and mushroom, and anchovies and peanut butter as the first three pizza toppings were introduced to. So, I think future, you know, down the road, we're going to do a pizza time segment where one of us will have to make and eat one of these types of pizzas because that seems to be a theme throughout is weird pizza toppings. So we'll figure out a way between ourselves to assign who does that each time, but um, that'll be something we'll do, you know, consistently. Yeah, a lot of sweet and salty combos, so we'll see how that goes. Yeah, the anchovies and peanut butter actually sounds like I would not hate that. Yeah, out of that group, I think pepperoni and ice cream could kind of like the ice cream could kind of be like a ricotta um, feel to it too. So mm. those would be my one A and one B probably. Yeah, Joey mushroom, not yeah. good. You just got to chef it up a little bit, you know? <laughs> um, okay. So uh, this episode, like I said, a lot of exposition in terms of introducing characters, introducing backstories. So as the, the turtles are eating, April asks, hey, like, what are you guys? How did you come to be? So we get a, a pretty good backstory on the Ninja Turtles. Um, and so for the, for the listeners, in Japan there's a, a ninja clan known as the foot and this is this is all episode lore so there's a ninja clan known as the foot hamato yoshi was their shidosh which is the teacher of the warrior ways of enlightenment oroku saki was a student of his that sought to usurp his leadership saki made his move one day by sticking a knife into yoshi's kaikogi into the wall as the master sensei visited their school and so Yoshi was unable to bow to the master. And then as he turned around and pulls out the knife, there was a miscommunication that they thought he was attempting to murder this master. And so they kick him out of the foot clan and uh, Oroku Saki takes over. Uh, he gets Yoshi gets banned from the dojo. So Yoshi flees to America where he's living in the sewers. And then a kid trips just eat shit drops his turtle friend <laughs> drops his turtle friends down into the sewer drain that then rain upon yoshi's head um and that's how yoshi master yoshi first comes to meet these just baby actual turtles because they fall on his head could there be any uh worse of a character arc to start this off and being potentially you know the the future of the foot clan in Japan, all this prestige to then living in the sewers with rats and turtles in yeah. New York. It's yeah. Pretty... And I like, I'm not, I know turtles go in water. I don't think they live in water, which is why it was kind of funny that they're just in a fishbowl floating around. And then like John says, smash down the sewer. <laughs> I, yeah. I know tortoises obviously go in water. Cause there's some videos of people throwing a tortoise into a lake. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, return them home but i think turtles are definitely water dwelling i don't know if they live there though but i thought a tortoise was a land like land uh tide versus a turtle which goes into water 
Yeah. But I think that's right. Something like that. But yeah, I think just in a fishbowl, usually it's like a terrarium, right? Where there's like yeah. options. But so Saki turns the foot clan back in Japan into an army of crime that uh jump kick vending machine so all the soda falls out of it. And then um which I thought was what they what they were showing as as the crime that he was committing. So Yoshi's thriving in the sewer with his turtle friends. He comes across one day that the turtles have crawled into a uh, fluorescent goo. The goo causes the person that touched it to turn into the animal that they had most recently been in contact with. So the turtles, because they were in contact with Yoshi, who picked them up and wiped the goo off, turn into humans. But then Yoshi turns into a rat because that's who he was most in, in contact with most recently. Um, they nicknamed him. They nicknamed Yoshi Splinter because there's a cut scene of him just shredding and smashing wooden um, planks. Planks. Yeah. Yeah. Just getting splinters. Um, and then Splinter names uh, the turtles after his favorite Renaissance artists. Uh, he's afraid that people are going to see these turtles as freaks. So he trains them in the art of ninjutsu, uh, which is the the Foot Clan art of fighting, um, and then that's how the turtles come to be. So this, I had two notes here. One, it's the first time they say Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, like the name of the show, um, which is always like a fun part when they say the movie title or whatever. And then they, I get in. <clears throat> Leo states what their purpose is, which is to get whoever put the ooze or the goo did they say goo or did they say ooze goo yeah they whoever put the goo down there they want to find out who did that and have them convert splinter back into a human which for me like i I never really thought about what their driven purpose was you know i just when you're a kid they fight crime so it was kind of interesting to see that's like actually what they're trying to do overall Mm mm-hmm so uh, this is also where you know we get a little bit more exposition to the actual turtles themselves. So Donatello, his simple wooden bow can disarm any adversary. So he, Donatello's purple, he yields a bow. Raphael, no sword can withstand his sigh, which I never really thought about it, but I guess the sigh is more of a defensive weapon against swords. So... That's interesting. Leonardo, his swordsmanship is unmatched. He wields two swords. And then Michelangelo, he's the master of whirling nunchakus. And then also, uh, you know, he has a little joke in there that he's also the master of whirling pizzas. So I think um, I've got a couple comments here. Going back to the uh, kind of origin story um, in comparison to some of the other um, media out there, whether it's the comics, other animated series or the movies, um, this idea of the transformation from being Yoshi to Splinter, um, that isn't consistent with the original media. So the Mirage comics, which we'll talk about later, but the original TMNT media, um, Yoshi has a pet rat who learns ninjutsu through observation. Um, and specifically, you know, Yoshi is supposed to be the next in line to be the leader of the foot. So that's kind of the, um, difference that's also consistent with the 1990 movie where yoshi has a pet rat and his goal is to avenge yoshi yoshi's death um and his wife's murder from um uh, Orokusaki. which is one of the great movie scenes of all time if you remember yeah, in the cage and like the, i started yeah. he just moves from my cage and he's just doing karate in the little cage funniest thing in that old movie oh <laughs> three so the oh three um cartoon series which 
um, debuted out obviously after the 87, uh, same thing. Yoshi has a pet rat, um, who learns ninjutsu, um, supposed to be next in line for leader of the foot, um, IDW comic series, which I think was 2011 when it started, uh, it's probably the most unique cause, uh, Yoshi is reincarnated to splinter. So it's not necessarily, um, mutation, but it's a reincarnation and his sons are also reincarnated to be the turtles. Um, and they were murdered at the hands of, um, Saki like hundreds of years ago. So they're avenging, you know, theme for a lot of these is avenging death. Um, 2012 diverts again. So Saki is the adopted brother of Yoshi and they compete for a common love interest who ultimately chooses Yoshi. So Saki kills her, kidnaps her kid, um, and flees to New York. And then in the most recent series, the rise of the TMNT goes hard left here where there's a celebrity, um, Lou Jitsu, who is turned into a rat with his, with his kids. So there's no consistency in, in kind of the origins. So, you know, knowing all those now of, of them, what do you guys think is your preferred, uh, origin story for me? I, I mean, I think the funniest is from the nineties movie with the rat that's just training, but I think the one that's the most interesting is in this cartoon where, you know, there's this power struggle in Japan, Yoshi's band. It kind of all holds together with the turtles crawl into goo. Although it's just very convenient, obviously that the goo turns them into animals that they last came in contact with. But I think the cartoon for me is probably the preferred backstory. Yeah. I like the, I like the ooze or the goo just cause it's, it's funny. It's simple. It's, I, I think the, one of the things I noticed and I'm like, I was curious, like if, if this were made into a series today, if they would just tell the backstory that fast, like we're in the first half of episode one and we know everything yeah. about them up to this point where you look at shows now and like they take forever to tell you a backstory on a character. So it's, that's why it's, it's funny that you're just trying to get the background set so quick that they, what do we just make up ooze? All right, ooze, you turn into the last animal you touch. Boom. Here we go. Yeah. Well, I think part of that was because they, you know, like the comics, they didn't know if it was going to be successful. So they, I think the season one only has five or six episodes. So they have to rush through the backstory to set up for more interesting, you know, for a lot of people, more interesting uh, interactions, like with villains and that sort of thing. The other thing I thought was interesting, and I don't know how true this is, but, you know, I read this, um, I originally found it on Reddit, but the weapon origin story. So this kind of like contrast between the turtles and their demeanor and then which weapon they have. So for Leo, uh, the oldest, um, again, this isn't necessarily uh, fully consistent with the comic series, but overall, like through all the media, Leo's the most, most ethical uh, one of the group. And he yields... As, as John mentioned, lethal katanas. So there's this um, struggle with his character being the most most ethical, but then like the ugliest side of battle or war, which is death. So he's the only one that, that yields a, a lethal weapon. So putting the weight on his shoulders of, is this battle worth it? Because it could cost, you know, somebody's life. I think it's a cool dynamic. Raph um, being the hothead, and he's got these defensive, as John mentioned, these defensive size. So he, those teach him patience um, and, you know, tempering his temper ultimately. Um, Donnie being the most intelligent, he yields the simplest weapon, a wooden bow staff. So that 
theoretically should teach him resourcefulness. So that again, another contrast with, you know, having all this technology and intelligence locked in his head, but he's, he's given a, a wooden stick basically to fight with. And then Mikey, who's consistently the most easygoing laid back, but he's got the most complex, uh, weapon in the nunchucks or nunchucku, however you actually say that. Um, but that teaches him ultimately, you know, focus. So I thought that was interesting. Again, I don't know if that's just a, a fan theory, but I like the idea of that contrast in who they are, which weapon they yield. And ultimately it's supposed to kind of pull them back into being more of a neutral, uh, neutral hero. But the interesting thing to me with the introduction in the cartoon, so that they go through each, as John mentioned, you know, Donatello, simple wooden bull staff, wooden bow staff, Raphael, no sword can withstand a sigh, etc. Of those introductions, who do you guys think would actually win with the, f- with the four of them fighting? I think if we start with who would absolutely not win, Michelangelo and Donatello immediately done. Oh, I don't know. I, I disagree. I think based on the song, Leonardo's the first one out. If you've got swords and Roth, no sword can withstand his side, then he's done. Well, that's yeah. But what I'm getting at is you then have a battle between Leo and Raph, and that's where the real debate would be. Yeah, but Donatello could disarm any adversary with his simple wooden bow staff. So I think Mikey's the first one out because he's just the master, right? <laughs> but I think can he really? He can disarm anybody that's what he said so i think i think mikey goes then it's leo then it's raf and donnie ends up being the victor based on the description yeah i i would i would agree with that i don't know if in that order but i think donatello wins and whatever order after that doesn't really matter (laughs) it just seems but when you look in the intro in the intros as we're learning their weapons leonardo cuts in half a brick with his katana yeah, and that's a theme throughout this whole series is like Leo and his katanas are always slicing through things. They're never really, any of these guys never actually use their weapons on the bad guys because it's a kid show, but Leo's just like always chopping stuff in half. And I don't even, I don't know samurai stuff that well, but does any samurai or does any ninja have two samurai swords? Like shouldn't he just have, well, I think one is the standard, so it's funny that he has two. And I guess that samurai aren't ninja. They just mash them together for the show. Mm-hmm. So you think Donnie wins in the battle? I mean, it pains me to say, but I think it's Donnie and then Raph. I think it's Donnie and then it doesn't, it's either, how, how does Michelangelo lose? I mean, it just says he's the master of the whirling nunchucks. Whirling nunchucks. Yeah, so I think it would go Donatello, Michelangelo, Raphael, Leonardo. I mean, Raph beats Leo for sure, based off of just the description. Yeah, None, the nunchucks are also a, like a, def- a defensive weapon, I guess, unless you're like throwing them. But then it's like a one-time thing. But it's like they've got the metal thing, so it's not like Leo couldn't, like his katana really wouldn't be able to cut through the the metal of the nunchucks. But okay, if you guys think Donnie wins, I think you're wrong, but that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Do that. Maybe the uh, maybe I'm sure at some point they must fight each other. It's got to be an arc somewhere. So yeah, we'll have to keep keep track of who wins, like in the brotherly battles too, because that that definitely is, I think, an interesting uh, interesting take. So uh, you know, we we learned through the episode background how the turtles uh, came to be, 
we then cut back to present day. April doesn't believe them um, as they're saying that there was other, you know, other ninjas that stole all the equipment. She thinks that the turtles stole equipment uh, and tries to run and sort of blow their cover so that uh, she can, you know, get to the bottom of this crime. Um, you know, we find out that uh, Shredder wants to find the Ninja Turtles or just really whoever's, uh, whoever had beaten up his thugs, but he, he thinks that there's some Ninja Turtles. Um, so that the Turtles sort of run back um, to the area of where April was beaten and they find a matchbook that says Ninja Pizzeria. Um, so they're excited because they can go get pizza, but then also uh, hopefully develop a little bit more of the story of what these, uh, what these bad guys, where they came from. Yeah, and the, the scene where he's berating his thugs is the first time we see full-bodied Shredder, which is like your classic villain, just add some spikes to a costume and mm-hmm. give him a mask. Mm-hmm. A lot of purple. I mean, the Foot Clan's all purple, and I know that probably goes back to nobility, but there's a ton of purple in uh, in the character so far. Mm-hmm. One thing that I thought was cool, um, you know, I've, I've been collecting, playing with... Uh, the action figures for a long time, but uh, in the most recent Holothon um, pack, so a four pack of the turtles, they actually include a Ninja Pizza. Hmm. pizza oh, that's sweet. So it's not the same logo, um, but I thought it was kind of a cool because it's legitimately a throwback to the first episode. Hmm. And I do think, um, you know, I've been watching, rewatching the series. I'm, I think I'm up to somewhere in episode or season seven. Ninja Pizza, this is the only time that I remember that it's, it's mentioned. So it's, uh, it's kind of cool because again, you know, they included this Ninja pizza accessory, but it's only mentioned one time in the first episode. So they, they either didn't do any of their background research. <laughs> um, cause there are more popular pizza places they go to, or they just wanted that like true nostalgia season one, episode one throwback. Yeah. And it's just funny. It's like, Oh, we need ninjas, Ninja pizza mm-hmm. right in front of the name. And that's all that's just like in depth as we'll get. <laughs> Um, we do we do learn too also that um, you know the, the turtles were more or less holding April hostage because they were afraid that she was going to blow their cover, and if the turtles get discovered, they'll be studied you know in depth by science and sort of you know seen as an experiment kind of thing. So eventually, April agrees that if they can help her get to the bottom of all of this crime wave in New York, then she will help the turtles discover who turned um, you know who turned them into humans and who turns splinter into a, a rat um and sort of you know get to the bottom of that so they they agree to, to work together it's also when they pick up the um it's i feel like it's a very 1980s 1990s thing to give out matchbooks for restaurants because obviously people were just smoking like a chimney back in the day um but yeah it does say ninja pizzeria on it and when they realize that that's where they can get pizza I think they would do a they do a good job of these turtles just being absolute like mesmerized by pizza. There's a funny scene where Raph just looks like an absolute maniac as he's trying to get pizza, uh, which I thought was funny. Yeah, I'm curious if the pizza thing, if again that was introduced in the cartoon series, like playing into kids like pizza, you know, mac and cheese kind of thing, or if that was again like a Genesis in the Mirage comics. Um, so. Again, I'll I'll do a little bit of digging and some research on that, but you know, I it's very prevalent. You know, it's prevalent in the movie later, but it's not like to the degree where they mention like you know five or six different pizzas like throughout the episode of twenty minutes. Mm-hmm. So as as they're about to leave 
to go to this ninja pizzeria, there's a, a scene where Donnie breaks the fourth wall, uh, basically says, he, you know, April makes a, uh, a comment. Donnie says, you wouldn't be able to last five minutes in a ninja pizza parlor. And then he turns, looks at the camera and says, I love making jokes like that. And there's a rim shot, which I just didn't totally understand the joke or the point, but I thought breaking the, the fourth wall was interesting. Um, but then they head up, um, you know, head up to, to street level through a sewer cap. They pop out. There's this old lady with a, a carriage or a grocery cart that's sort of walking. She freaks out, pulls out an Uzi and says, you know, get back. I don't want any trouble. Um, I, I guess because the crime is so bad in New York. Uh, they conveniently come up to a all night men's clothing so that they can get disguises on street level. So they're not noticed. And then they sort of get the classic, you know, trench coat and uh, fedora hat so that they can go unrecognizable leaving on the, you know, the ninja headbands, obviously so that we can understand who they are, but it, it does well enough for they're not recognized as turtles uh, on the street as people come across them. Yeah. I thought one of the funny things was, once they put the the fedoras and the trench coats on, Raphael looks at the camera and says, "Here's looking at you, kid," which is a quote from Casablanca from Humphrey Bogart, where it's it's like at the end of the movie, it's a famous quote where he's basically like you know saying he's in love with the the main character in that movie. So I don't know. It, it, it's obviously just a funny quote, but he's also in the context of the show saying it to April. So maybe it's like a nod that at some point they she becomes a love interest or something. Hmm. So I think there's in like, I don't know if it's in the movies, but there are hints that like at certain points they are like attracted and like in love with April. And on other times they're just like, you know, working together to solve crimes. Yeah. We'll have to see how that, uh, how that plays out. Yeah. And the, I think the turtles are very much willing to partner with April because April's a human and can get access to places that they can as these, uh, these mutant turtles. Yeah. You would think though, if they're ninjas that they would already be good at avoiding being seen. So it is kind of funny that they need to like throw the trench coat and the hat on right out of the gate. Cause mm -hmm. it seems like they don't know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Do they have, I can't remember from this episode, are they also wearing any pants or is it just a trench coat? They got the, the belts with the letter on them to help us recognize them, but. So that's one thing, um, again, being several seasons ahead to keep track of too, is how often their outfit, are they wearing pants or not wearing pants? Cause that's inconsistent throughout, like all the way to where I'm at in season seven. Hmm. So just a fun little, uh, thing to maybe keep tally of pants versus no pants. So with these disguises on turtles, they're looking for a ninja pizzeria. They come across a couple, um, well, the entire scene is meant to, I think, help the audience get familiar with the turtles. So there's a couple of scenes where April is calling them by the wrong name so that we just get repetition in terms of what their names are. They come across someone who um, on the street is is taking people's money with three card Monty, um, which then Leonardo just slices his box in half. He runs away. They come across someone who's selling fake disguises. And then they also come across someone with a boombox that's playing a you know, late 80s jam. Um, but again, just more exposition so that we can learn these uh, these turtles' names. Yeah, stereotypical like late 80s, early 90s street stuff. Also, I thought the – I agreed it was probably to get to, to learn the turtles' names, but also maybe like just to show that their disguises were working because if April couldn't tell who they were, then nobody else can either. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and what's uh, also interesting is they never use the nicknames throughout, like Mikey, Donnie, Raph, Leo. Like that is not part of the cartoon, even though it's in the movies broken up that way. They always use the full name. So I think I think to John's point, this is part of just kind of like bashing the viewer over the head with who's who, because um, that really hasn't been explored yet much other than just a few interactions between the turtles so far um, but i do think it's interesting they don't ever go to the nicknames it's always consistent like teenage mutant ninja turtles in, in the full names eventually the turtles get to a part of town where every business is named after a ninja so you would think you know if, if we know that these crimes are being committed by ninjas that might be the first place that we're looking they eventually get to ninja pizza which is as they walk in uh, is, you know, the, the cashier basically says, welcome to Ninja Pizza, home of the nice slice, which oh, I like that. Yeah. A little curious what the nice slice would be, but it sounds delicious. And I also, I, I wrote down that they have no pepperoni on the menu. Yeah. It's a big issue for Michelangelo. Apparently he's a big yeah. pepperoni guy. Maybe the nice slice is it's like a tongue in cheek joke because they're not nice. Or maybe I just, I mean, it's a great slogan. Nice slice. <laughs> Doesn't really fit with the ninja pizza though. You'd think it'd be like, you know, something in, in that theme of uh of ninja or ninjutsu, something like that. But it's New York, so yeah. The turtles sit down in a booth, they order three pizzas, one sashimi and three whipped cream pizzas. Uh and then April slinks out and she is uh, you know, in, in her investigative reporting way, wants to find more information. So we find out that she is at Manhattan Security Services. She overhears the receptionist at the front desk saying that there's another scientific company that wants to hire security. So the Foot Clan in their ninja outfits, um, they come across and, and you know presumably leave to go to this scientific company to provide them security, quote unquote, uh, which seems like it's the operation for how they steal the equipment. Uh, April then is at a payphone and phones into Channel 6 News to to let them know that she's identified uh, what's going on here and that they should send a camera crew. She then gets kidnapped by these ninjas who realize that they're onto her, um, and they kidnap her. Yeah, very funny kidnapping scene where, like your classic payphone abduction, phone drops and it's like hanging there. So that part was funny to me. So this is where we see, for, uh, right, for the first time, the foot in New York, like this whole Manhattan security kind of, cutscene interesting to me we'll talk obviously shredder too um and kind of like his tie in a little more of a backstory but how the foot got to new york nobody knows we then go back to ninja pizza and there's there's a little bit of inconsistencies between ninja pizza and ninja pizzeria which i, I had a note here it leads it leads me to believe that there's a ninja style pizza um but obviously we're, we're left wanting more there they um you know, the, the cashier basically puts a note on a knife and whips it at the turtles that then lands in the middle, uh, which Donnie exclaims, you know, is it is it a threatening note? And it actually ends up being the receipt. It's something even scarier, Raph says. It's the receipt for the pizza. So. Yeah, I tried to see what the price, I paused it and like went back to see what the price was on it. It just said zero with a bunch of scribbles. But I, I was hoping to find like what, you know, how much inflation and prices has changed on pizza. The turtles get worried because April's not around as they scarf down this pizza. So they, they leave the pizzeria and then they discover uh, a few things on the ground next to the payphone. I think her channel six security badge 
and then a wad of gum that Raph says, I would recognize that wad of gum anywhere, which I thought was a little interesting. Yeah, because um, she was never shown to be chewing gum at all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then Donnie with his laser eyes apparently spots her purse at the top of like a 50 story building that's hanging out. So convenient. Um, yeah. <laughs> that night. Yeah. Uh, so then they run up the fire escape to this building, eventually get to the roof where they see April tied up in a chair with ropes and sort of, you know, gag. So she can't speak. Um, and they're, you know, they're wary that there's a trap that this could all be a trap on the top of the roof to them, which a ninja star is, is whipped at them, hits the wall and they realize that it, it indeed is a trap. Yeah, one of my favorite scenes from the episode where they just burst through the door, say this feels like a trap, the ninja star comes by, and then there's just 60 foot soldiers to their left, like yeah. immediately just standing there menacingly. But yeah. only one ninja star got thrown. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, bad guy logic is just at an all time low. Yeah, and it's like it's it's like borderlines between like slapstick humor and just like obvious. Obviously, it's like Andrew said before, it's for a kid show, so everything's very obvious, but it's still entertaining with how like how simple it is. So with it being a trap, they then, you know, theme song kicks in in the background. Turtles ditch their outfits and they just start um, whooping on these on these ninjas. They they do learn through fighting as they're, you know, hitting the ninjas that there's some clanging going on and they eventually discover that they're robots, uh, which I thought was funny because Leonardo, who, you know, as Andrew had said, is sort of this this push and pull between having these lethal weapons would have sliced in half <laughs> this foot soldier only yeah. to then realize that he's a robot. And then I think Raph throws his sigh at one, it hits him in the stomach and then, you know, clangs. Um, so there's some funny scenes there. Yeah. So uh, the, the, the robot thing, I think again, is interesting. So the foot clan somehow ends up in New York, but it's not the foot clan. It's a bunch of robots. Mm-hmm. So where is that going? You know, that's foreshadowing obviously, but, uh, Again, convenient because you get to see the turtles probably arguably in their most intense fighting scene that there is, even though it's short, you know, with chopping uh, the Michelangelo cut scene where he's like angrily, you know, twirling the the nunchucks and like flying through the air. I thought it was actually pretty cool. Mm -hmm. The weapons turn radioactive or there's something special going on with the ninja's weapons as they're as they're fighting the turtles. Uh, I think there's a joke that they, you know, where did they get these weapons from Mars? Um, and then very incredibly conveniently, they are hiding behind a wall. All 50 foot soldiers sort of <laughs> gather on the other side of this wall that they could run around. The turtles push it over and then crush the foot clan, which is, or I shouldn't say the whole thing, but um, crush a good amount of them so that they, they beat these, these characters. Yeah. And the, the tech thing is interesting too, because, um, I don't know what it was like the one of those uh like japanese folding fan things yeah but but the foot soldiers like waving that and it's creating i don't know if it's a creating like a tunnel out that's pushing because at one point i thought like leo gets like pushed against the wall mm-hmm. but then this time it's it's sucking uh raf like towards it so it's i don't know if it's radio waves like what is it i don't know maybe it's the it's the sine wave generator it could be actually yeah (laughs) it could be going back to that everybody knows sine cosine um so foot plan then escapes they some i guess because they're robots they just fly to the uh, a building that's very far away yeah that part never really got explained that they were just all down there all of a sudden yep 
they just jet away. Uh, in 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 the the fight scene too, I should say that the turtles untie April so that she's now free and can sort of move about. Um, Leonardo has this rope that he finds apparently ties his sword to it, chucks it to the other building that it then implants into, and then they um, you know, they basically rope line over to the other building so that they can continue chasing the foot clan as they're enter the building following the foot soldiers. I think we learned Shredder is in the basement and can sort of see what's going on, has visibility into the security cameras here. It's an empty building, but we get a cutscene to Shredder who says, oh goodness, the turtles are here. We have to make sure that they don't find out about the Technodrome. And then immediately announces over the loudspeaker, everybody report to the Technodrome now, which then piques the turtles' interest as they're, you know, what's this Technodrome? Yeah, and we get the like the two way camera shot from like Shredder's looking out. Obviously, he's like om- omnipotent and can see everything going on, but then somehow Donatello can see back through his own camera, so they're just staring at each other. And that's when like Donatello realizes that it- Shredder's there. Mm-hmm. I so think the- too with the Foot Clan being robots, why do you have to announce for them to return? Can you just like you know push a button and they come back? I mean, obviously they have to set up. What's the Technodrome? Uh, they have to introduce Shredder to the turtle. So I, I get why they're doing it. It's just very cheesy, I think, uh, the way this kind of falls apart at the end here. Yeah, and like just to get everyone in the same area, why would they take April to the building across the street from the, the Technodrome? It just doesn't... Like, all that is just like for convenience sake. It's funny, though. Yeah, but especially when... Um, you know, as, as John is going to walk through the, the next part of the scene here, they want April to stay out of danger, but they bring her to the building where there's probably the greatest danger. Mm-hmm. So as the, you know, Foot Clan soldiers are flying downstairs, they basically get to the bottom of the building. Shredder tells them to, you know, destroy the turtles and make sure they don't find out about the Technodrome at any cost. So they, I guess, break all the pipes, turn on the water mains, and then this entire building just begins to flood. So the as it's flooding, filling up the entire building, the turtles are racing upstairs. They they make sure April is safe, get to the roof where this a massive amount of water is just pouring over the sides of the building like a waterfall. Uh, Leonardo's sword and rope are still attached to the building. They hop on the rope, um, cut it so that they're then just dangling on you know from the other side of the building which is safer than the the water that they were in but then that whole building collapses uh onto the technodrome or or you know the the audience is left wondering what happens there yeah so i thought there were a couple things i thought were funny there one like when the water is they're initially in the building and the water is filling up to the ceiling they all like acknowledge that they can breathe underwater but april can't so i had never known that the turtles could breathe underwater because i think I think in the movie, like Raph almost drowns or something, but, or he's like in the, uh, he's getting like his head dunked underwater. So I don't know if that's something that's going to be consistent throughout or not. But then also when they start to run up the stairs and they're surfing on these filing cabinets, it's the first time we hear them say Cowabunga. Cowabunga! Which I looked up, do you guys know the origin of Cowabunga or how that even is a word? I I saw something about, it's, it's like uh, originated native american or something like that yeah so there's i like everyone has obviously heard it in reference to surfing which is probably why they put it in the show because it's you know it's what teens and stuff were doing in the late 80s but um it started with the show howdy doody which was a 
cowboy western TV show in the 50s. And the writer for that, <clears throat> for one of the characters, there was an Indian chieftain or a Native American chieftain. And at the time, stereotypically, Indians said, how, when they like, instead of hello. And he thought that was stupid. So he he had known an actual Native American to use the greeting Kawagupa. And he's like, all right, we'll just tweak this to make it sound a little bit cooler and we'll say Kawabunga. So that the show popularized that. Then it got over to soldiers in Vietnam who used it like ironically during battle. And then when they came back, it morphed into surf culture. The Peanuts comic strip picked it up from there. And that's what like popularized it for people in the 80s and the 90s. So I thought it was because as I was watching the show, like everybody knows Cowabunga, but I didn't, I just knew it like because of Ninja Turtles. So I didn't know where it came from. Yeah. And I think, that, I mean, that's obviously something we're going to be tracking too. And I don't know if we're going to keep it uh, to just like Mikey's mannerisms or if we want to open it up because there's also some cliche lines like from Leo throughout. But I, we're going to be tracking these turtleisms um, throughout. And Cowabunga certainly as most would expect is going to be the most prevalent, but there's plenty of other ones uh, from Michelangelo that we'll see, I think even in episode two and three, um, you know, that, that are just interesting, funny or, or lame. Yeah. I'm curious what, like, as we keep track, which ultimately wins out because you would think if they use this one intentionally in the first episode, like, you know, in, in schemes of marketing and how the show was created basically to market toys is that was that the intent? Like this is the phrase we want to link with turtle, so we're just going to force it and shoehorn it in as many times as possible. So the you know final scene of the episode, the turtles are back in their lair. They've recovered an outfit from the ninjas that they were fighting and showing it to Splinter. Splinter recognizes that it's an outfit of the Foot Clan, and he exclaims that Saki lives, which is his rival. Um, and there's, you know, a, a, the final scene is, is the turtles eating more pizza because they're hungry, which ends up being banana and sausage to then, which April even says, you know, as she ingratiates herself with these turtles, Hey, give me a slice of that banana and sausage. So she's starting to get on board with the pizzas as well. So I think this scene though, like subtly connects the fact if, if you've never watched any of the Ninja Turtles that Arokusaki and Shredder are the same person. I think that like this is the point at which like uh, honestly that last scene where Splinter mentions that Saki lives you can kind of piece the two together. So mm-hmm. theoretically if if you were watching this, you know, as we as we talk about the villains here, you you may assume that they're separate but all the foreshadowing and uh even their scenes throughout when Shredder's, you know, talking about the turtles and he's berating the punks, you know, were they turtles and the punks don't know. So they kind of connect the dots, but here you, you've, I think officially know that they're one and the same person, right? That's right. That's correct. Yeah. Which like for a, you know, an episode that had, you know, was meant to run in a half hour slot is a ton of information just in that first episode to set everything. So I think they do a good job of setting everything up without it being like too confusing or overwhelming, but it is kind of crazy how much they crammed into the episode to get the viewers like squared away from episode one. So they can build on it from there. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess one thing I, I hadn't really thought about, we don't we don't necessarily have a timeline for how long Yoshi was in New York and how long the turtles have been in existence. Other than so I actually that- I not to cut you off, I built this out. I was thinking about this last night. 
I kind of built a timeline out in my head based on what you can sort of piece together from the episode. So he, from when he gets to New York, he, he's training his rats or whatever. It's, it's not really clear how long he's there until the turtles come, but they mentioned, I forget who says it. Somebody comments at one point that we, we spent half our lives at the bottom of a tank. We don't want to spend the other half there. So if you figure they're teenagers, you know, 15 to 19 years old, he's been training them as turtles for probably seven to eight years. So his, from whenever he got there, call it seven to eight years for everybody to get over. But what I, what I found interesting is like Splinter is, his character is like drawn and shown as this old wise mentor. But when he's contrasted with Shredder, who's his like contemporary, basically Shredder seems a lot younger. So I don't know if that's like the effect of being a rat, but it's interesting that he's shown as like this old wise man when in reality he should be right around the same age. It's the impact of living in a sewer for yeah. seven years. You just look <laughs> old as shit. <laughs> well, I think the other thing too, you know, I mentioned this a couple of times, but like, okay, what brought Shredder to America? I don't know if that's ever like fully fleshed out. What happened to the foot clan like the the original human foot clan like did he just run it into the ground and that's why he he fled or is he intentionally you know trying to seek out like he doesn't know yoshi's still alive until he sees the fighting style of the ninja turtles through the camera at one point so what brings him to america why does he have robots where's this tech come from you know all things i'm hoping ultimately get fleshed out yeah, because yeah, he's not he's not in America specifically to seek out Yoshi. It just happens that his cronies are getting beaten up by these ninjas, which he recognizes as the foot style fighting, comes to the realization that Yoshi is still alive, and then you know, here we go. It is now that I think about it, the whole the timeline of them like having foot clint, like it's feudal Japan but modern America, which makes no sense in the, like, when you actually think about it. So I don't know. It, it will be interesting to see if it actually comes up. And then I guess, you know, who, who becomes more, you know, like, like are the thugs just that generic group of thugs? Is it always the same thugs? Are they like actually like a, you know, a villain or is he, cause he has thugs and he has foot ro- foot robots. So who, who does what, like who, how does that get to beat up? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and are they even a, a, you know, like truly affiliated? Like, obviously, the punks report back to Shredder, um, so we know that they're working for them. But to Chris's point, like moving forward, are they involved? Are they not? You know, we'll find out in future episodes. We will find out. One of the things that we'll do as we continue through these episodes as well is just ranking villains. So for a, um, I guess, tally of villains in this episode, we obviously have Shredder, who we know is evil. I think that might be the only one that we would consider a true villain at this point. I think he's, you know, the leader of these thugs in Foot Clan. But right now, I think Shredder sits atop our power rankings for Ninja Turtles villains. Yeah, by almost by default at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and I think you'd have to argue... And, uh, you know, Saki, obviously Saki is Shredder, but Saki is the one that is the most villainous so far because he put that knife into the back of uh, 
of Yoshi to get him ban- banished from the Foot Clan. Because mm-hmm. Shredder in this episode hasn't really done anything other than command the flooding. So I guess you could argue that, which, which is worse. Flooding and collapsing, you know, a hundred story building, glass building in New York, or banishing your mentor from his lifelong passion of being the leader of the Foot Clan. Yeah, with a literal knife in the back. When you said that, it clicked in my head. But I didn't think of the symbolism during the episode. I thought it was just like a slapstick joke. Yeah. And we don't really know Shredder's intent at this point for what he's even doing. You know, I guess they want you to make the connection that he might be stealing scientific equipment. But we really don't know what what he's doing with the foot soldiers in America yet. Yeah, a lot to be unpacked. Uh, I think... I think uh, episode two, three, four, and five, season one, I think unloads on some of that stuff. Regarding the pizza, so we got this pizza time segment. Pizza time. Um, lots of pizzas mentioned in this episode. So how do we want to? How do we want to spin the wheel? Who's uh, who's up? Do we want to do it by? I mean, I'll, I'll I'll sign up. It was my idea originally, so I guess I'll go first. If we're gonna do it, we're gonna do it every episode. I think we need a as long as there's a like critical mass of pizzas like this one, we've got plenty. So I think it makes sense because there's like six mentioned here and I can go go through them. Um, well, Andrew pulls that up. I think there's a couple options on there where you could almost make a dessert style pizza that I think would be really good. Almost like a sugar, like there's you know some recipes for like a sugar. Well, cookie so pizza. I guess we got to set some ground rules then is in the in the context of the show, like for instance, a whipped cream pizza. Is that a cheese pizza with whipped cream topping? Or is that however you want to interpret a whipped cream pizza to be? I think it's however you want to interpret it. And I only say that because the whipped cream that they were served was literally just crust and whipped cream. But was it just covering – they were served it at a pizzeria. My my interpretation was it was a hot pizza, and these are toppings, not – it's toppings of a pizza, not a flavor of a pizza, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think I think for – the segment i think it'd be easiest if the base is cheese pizza and then you add uh, you know we're gonna i have the wheel up here so i'll go through what was mentioned but you add that topping and as a chef you can interpret it in either way so is it just dollops of whipped cream is it the full thing is coated like in the episode um but i think that will probably be the easiest because i don't feel like baking a sashimi pizza with you know all these uh crazy ingredients on. I just want to put sashimi on top of a cheese pizza out of the freezer aisle, you know? So do we, I guess, ultimately, before we spin, are we, do we want to assign or do we want to, in the future, think of some way, like a competition so you can earn, or I guess the loser has to spin the wheel? I think if we can figure out some sort of competition where it does cycle through, though, so one person doesn't get stuck eating. Yeah, I mean, I'm like I said, I'm trying to volunteer now and bite the bullet for the first one. This is, I mean, it's a little bit of having a meeting on a podcast, but I think if we, the person who is recapping the episode is excluded from the, yeah. <laughs> and I only say that because it's, you know, a decent amount of prep work that goes yeah. into these reviews. So, you know, we can sleep it however it works. We can do it that way. So, all right. That, yeah, I'll bite the bullet this time. I'll recap the next episode. That way it's an open competition for whenever the next one happens. Okay. So just to recap, um for the various pizzas we've got pepperoni and ice cream we've got jelly bean and mushroom anchovy peanut butter sashimi whipped cream and banana and sausage so 
Here we go. Those uh, listening, we've got a pizza wheel. It's spinning. Equal odds of obtaining oh, that. And looks like Chris is whipped cream. Can get whipped cream. Oh, that's <laughs> the hardest one. That's no, the grossest one. I feel like Put a little bit of yeah. Just make a little whipped cream. Yeah, but a hot pizza is going to melt it. Add a little. Add a little. You know, salt to it. Give it a little some complexity, and then make it a, a nice little pizza. All right, we'll do whipped cream pizza. We'll be eaten on the next show. I'll have to think of a way to make it advertising, but that was probably the second to last one that I would have wanted there. So, <laughs> yeah, what would have been your uh, your top choice? My top choice was anchovies and peanut butter. I think banana and sausage also has some potential, but anchovies and peanut butter was my top choice. Yeah, my top choice would have been probably sashimi. I bet you yeah, could have made to I bet you could have made a good pepperoni ice cream. Well, I guess so. We'll pull. We'll have to pull whipped cream off next time, and then replace it with one or something like that. Yeah. So I guess the question is, do we keep adding to this um, and pull off as they're used, or with each episode, if there's like two mentioned in the next one, do we spin between the two? I, I think, think we add. Yeah, we add. We pull out what's been eaten, and we add. Okay. And it's just cool. always going. That's a good idea because then that gives us lots of different options and um, yeah. some unique combinations too. So we'll take that. We'll take a picture too um, for those that aren't watching just so we can uh, share it through social media as well. Perfect. Awesome. Cowabunga. Cowabunga. Cool. Yeah, that's a wrap. So we'll um, we'll get back at it with uh, season one, episode two that Chris is going to lead. Uh, I think we're going to try to do it weekly, weekly um, podcast. Um, so for anyone that wants to play along at home, you could watch the episode. So you obviously have, uh, have the backstory as we kind of hash things out, but overall not bad for uh season one, episode one, turtle yeah. tracks. Episode one down. We'll see you guys next week.